Welcome to the Centerpoint Vineyard Podcast. We're a church on Sydney's northern beaches, seeing lives transformed by Jesus. We hope you enjoy this message. Yes, so as Jono said, we're currently in a series on the tools of the kingdom. And so far, to jog your memory, we've looked at the gifts of the spirit, prayer, faithful service with Prue last week. And today we're looking at hospitality and community. Um, And I think this is already a really strong part of the DNA at Centrepoint. Obviously, as a church that meets in houses um, every week, we're being welcomed in hospitality, whether it's here at um, the Joneses or at the Stories often. So um, I think it's already alive and well here, but it'd be great to unpack more today around what it means. So can we all just take a moment to um, cast our minds back to a memory in your life where you've experienced hospitality at a moment when you really needed it. Where were you? What were you feeling and thinking before that moment? And what did it mean to you to actually um, experience that sense of practical welcome from someone else? Maybe it was a spare room when you needed a place to stay, a home-cooked dinner when you were away from home and, you know, feeling homesick. Maybe the person at church that noticed you and invited you to that lunch when you, you know, maybe feeling a bit lonely, whatever it was, um, yeah, maybe just bring that, that memory to mind. I remember when I'd moved to London and there was a woman at my church, Judith, who was in her late 50s, and she really looked out for me and took me um, to lunch one day. And to her, it probably didn't seem like a big thing just to, you know, take someone along from church. But for me, it was a massive thing because I was really missing home. I was trying to find my way in this new city. And her just extending that welcome to me um, just made me feel so cared for and remembered. um, And it really made an impact for me in that time. And hospitality is love in action. It's noticing, remembering, making space, providing for a person. And the stories that Jesus tells and the accounts of his ministry in the Gospels reveal story after story of hospitality, both from the standpoint of giver and receiver, guest and host. So Jesus' first miracle, as we probably know, is at the wedding where he transforms from the invited guest to the generous host, providing the finest wine to bring honour to that married couple and their families and to save them from social shame. And Jesus gives us the image of the kingdom of God as a banquet in Luke 14, where his servant is sent out into the streets, alleys, roads and country lanes to bring people into the feast after the invited guests had bailed on the invite. Jesus invites himself over to Zacchaeus's place for lunch, which I think is a bold move, you know, just, just invite yourself over. But that was giving Zacchaeus an opportunity to show hospitality to Jesus and what a privilege that would have been. And then we read in John 13 at the Last Supper, which we remember today, that Jesus got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And in that same night, Jesus shows us to remember him with those elements of bread and wine in the context of a meal to remember Jesus. And Jesus loves meals and he loves providing meals for people. So he feeds the 5,000. Later on, he feeds another 4,000. 
And in fact, one of the accusations that the religious teachers laid at Jesus' feet was that he ate and drank with sinners. And then if we zoom out and think about God leading the people of Israel in the Old Testament, there are again so many stories of God showing hospitality as core to who he is. So he provides manna for the wandering Israelites in the desert to make bread that tasted like honey, which sounds delicious, and then quail when they got sick of the manna. And there's a story I love in 1 Kings 19 where Elijah is on the run for his life. He's afraid and exhausted and he's been walking for a day in the wilderness. And in verse 4, it starts, he came to a, a broom bush, don't know what that is, I'm sure it's beautiful. He sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he laid down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. That's a good meal that lasts you 40 days and 40 nights. And what I love about that story is how intensely practical it is. The Lord knew that what Elijah needed in that moment wasn't like another prophetic word. It wasn't a sign and wonder that's, you know, just glorious and majestic to behold. What Elijah needed was a simple meal and a rest. And it helped him restore his strength under that moment of like emotional collapse. And hopefully what we can see from this real like fly by the night peppering of examples from the Bible is that hospitality isn't peripheral to the way that God moves among people and how he brings his kingdom on earth. It's core to the kingdom of God and to heaven coming in our midst. Um, And so when Jesus gives his disciples a new command to love one another in John 13, he goes on to say that in the same way I loved you, you love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, when you think about this, for everyone around to actually notice something different in the way that this community is loving each other, to see it as a mark of being with Jesus and following him, that means that the the evidence of people loving one another in this context was actually visible for others to see. So it wasn't just a matter of warm feelings towards each other. It was actually demonstrated in action. And there's a song that we've been singing over the last few weeks, you might remember, that has this line, let heaven come. And we sing that, but I wonder, would we recognise it if it came? What are we expecting it to look like? Well, if you have a Bible there in some form, we can open up to Acts 2 to to dive into that a bit more. Um, And at the start of Acts 2 is Pentecost, as you may know, where the Holy Spirit comes and fills Jesus' followers who are waiting there. It was about a week and a half after Jesus had ascended. And it's this super dramatic scene. So there's a sound like a blowing of a violent wind, what seemed to be tongues of fire resting on people. People began speaking in tongues as the spirit enabled them. And then Peter gets up and addresses this massive crowd that's gathered and they see 3000 people added to their number and baptized. So out of this powerful, really dramatic beginning of the church where everyone is filled with the Holy Spirit, we get to see a taste of what the kingdom of heaven coming on earth can look like. And here it is from verse 42, if you're following along. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. 
everyone was filled with awe at the many signs and wonders performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It's such a a beautiful image, isn't it, of um, community working so beautifully together. And as we see in this passage, yes, the kingdom of heaven coming looks like signs and wonders. It looks like people coming to faith. It looks like prayer. But in the midst of all of that, the kingdom looks like sharing meals around tables. It looks like making space for people, giving generously, providing practically for the needs of people and coming together as a community. And I know it says in there that they came together daily. I think we're doing well for weekly with, you know, some kind of um, prayer group gathering or something, but um, just, yeah, amazing to think every day gathering together. And so the Holy Spirit working among his people looks like all of these things. And in the practical actions of loving people and making space for them in our lives, community is actually formed before (laughs) our eyes. So we can really see and we probably already know that hospitality is an essential part and a sign of following Jesus and doing the things that Jesus does. But the fact is, hospitality is not the way of the world around us. Um, I have a story actually this week. I was traveling back from Tasmania with my sister. She's got a nine week old and she was speaking at an event down there. So needed a bit of a backup um, auntie to come along. Mm -hmm. And when we boarded the flight on the way home, um, there was hardly anyone on the plane at this point. And I am vertically challenged. If you hadn't realized, I I say to Kirk that I'm five foot on a good day, (laughs) which really means I'm like 4'11 and a little bit, but I think I can slide into the five foot category. Anyway, so what this means is um, it's a great thing for travel because I don't need legroom, right? Like economy suits me just fine. But one of the challenges is the overhead compartments, which are like impossible for someone of my stature to like reach above and put baggage in that, in that zone. So often it's an opportunity for someone else to like extend, you know, do their kind of, what do you call it? Like random act of kindness for the day, help me out. Um, But at this time there was like hardly anyone on the plane except for the flight attendant. And so I'm there kind of like half struggling, waiting for someone to help. And I'm like, oh yeah, I can't really, can't really get it up there. And this guy who's like paid to be in the hospitality field is like, oh, um, you shouldn't actually bring anything on the plane that you can't lift there yourself. I was like, oh, it's not that it's too heavy. It's just that I'm too short. Like I physically can't reach. And he said, oh, well, technically I'm not actually allowed to help you put that up there. Like other people might, but um, I I can't like suffer a shoulder injury. I was like, okay, thank you. And so in the end, my sister who like was holding the baby at the time gave the baby to me. My sister put it up and we're all fine. But it's so interesting, isn't it? And obviously that's not the standard experience, but like hospitality isn't the way that the world naturally operates um, like in, in the world around us. And if we think about it, we're really swimming in a cultural ocean that puts individual fulfillment as the hallmark of the good life, right? We see that everywhere and it's, um, you know, we can even imbibe that ourselves. And then living in a city like Sydney, The air we're breathing is pushing us to the next height of achievement and attainment in our working lives, in our assets, in our quality of life. And the problem with that is that it's constantly pushing out all of the margin that we have in our lives where we might make space for others to notice the needs that we could fill with a simple invitation or action. 
we're overloaded, we're busy, we're distracted or focused on our own goals or just what needs to happen in any given day. So to love one another in the way Jesus commands us to, it requires us going the, against the grain of the world around us. And that can be uncomfortable. It comes with a cost and that cost is in a few areas. So first off, it costs us our time. Extending hospitality means that we need the time to, first off, just to take notice of what's happening and sometimes <coughs> respond spontaneously in the moment to the people that cross our path. And that means not cramming our schedules to within an inch of their lives. It means building in margin. And there's an instruction in Leviticus 19.9. This is getting serious. We're bringing out Leviticus, people. <laughs> and it says, when you harvest the crops of your land, don't harvest the grain along the edges of your fields and don't pick up what the harvesters drop. It's the same with your grape crop. Don't strip every last bunch of grapes from the vines and don't pick up the grapes that fall to the ground. Leave them for the poor and the foreigners living among you. I think the heart of this same instruction can apply to how we view our time. We might not be out harvesting in the fields in our modern context, but we all have the resource of time, which is really the most valuable thing that we have. And so it's something that we can steward. Maybe it means doing less in a day. Maybe that's the equivalent of not harvesting right to the edges of your field. It, to create space and to leave time for the Lord to do more through you. Um, and when we allow for time margins, it's an opportunity to create space for the Holy Spirit to prompt us to take notice of the world around us and demonstrate love in action. I don't know if you've noticed that like in a day where you're not so busy and frenetic, even just like taking notice of what is happening around you is so much more natural. And so we can actually have those moments where God is able to minister to people through us um, when we're just being more aware of what's happening in our world. So it costs us our time. It also costs us our money. So returning to Acts 2, where it says, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. So hospitality can have a financial cost. Maybe it's sorting ingredients for a meal that you're hosting, you know, giving up on some rental income because you're lending that spare room to someone who needs it, or just buying someone a coffee. Practicing hospitality um, requires a cost from us, and that's really directly at odds with the narrative of, you know, capitalism and economic liberalism that we're all in in our you know, current context, because that's really based on individualism, private property, gathering as much as we can for ourselves. So there's an economic dimension to our hospitality as believers. And Robert Krushwitz, probably mispronouncing his name, but he's from the Centre of Christian Ethics at Baylor University. And he says, while our culture <coughs> reduces hospitality to friendliness and private entertaining, Christian hospitality reminds a pub, remains a public and economic reality by which God recreates us through the places and people we are given. I love that. I love that image. So it costs us our money and it also costs us our energy and our presence. Practicing hospitality takes energy. Um, you know, Heather's been, I'm guessing it's Heather's done the beautiful candles this morning. She's had to get up to like put the cups out, put the food out, all these things. That takes energy. It takes focus. It takes presence. And um, maybe this is just me talking, but in our human flesh, we don't always feel like it. Um, particularly when we're extending that practical love and welcome to someone maybe we don't know so well, we're not as comfortable with and who's really different to us. Um, or maybe you've got the opposite challenge, which is um, where you kind of, 
you put too much energy in the things that maybe don't matter so much with your hospitality. So I know that I love to cook, um, but when I'm cooking for people, I tend to go way too um, like over, overboard and try and cook up something I've like never done before with super niche ingredients. And I'm like in the kitchen for hours and I get so caught up in like, oh, is all the food perfect? When really it's like, can we be present to people and make them feel welcome and loved? Um, so yeah, just, I don't know if that resonates with anyone, but I know that that's for me, maybe like where we're putting our energy and our hospitality um, really matters. So those are some of the costs, our time, our money, our energy and our presence. But here's the encouragement. We never fully know what's on the other side of our hospitality. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 13, verses one to two encourages the church, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. I don't know, maybe someone spotted an angel at Centrepoint without, um, without us knowing it, but um, it's just a beautiful verse of something of like, there's more going on in our hospitality than sometimes we even realise. And in the simple act that we extend to someone, that could actually be resonating way more than we realise. Uh, in his podcast, Revisionist History, I don't know if anyone's a Malcolm Gladwell podcast listener. I've got a nod from Chris. Uh, there's a brilliant episode in the latest season called I Was a Stranger and You Welcomed Me. Uh, and it's really worth giving it a listen because there's, there's about three different stories that are unpacked in that episode. But one of the stories that Malcolm Gladwell recounts is of a Jewish man named Chiel Rachman who had escaped a concentration camp in Nazi-controlled Poland during World War II. And you hear this, um, this fugitive on the run, how he met with person after person on his journey who extended hospitality. And it was really simple things. It was like a meal or um, a change of clothes or a place to stay the night before he has to leave and keep journeying on. And so as the story went on and on and on, this man recounts Glad at Gladwell's count 11 acts of hospitality from strangers. And you can really trace how all these different acts of hospitality were the things that helped this man survive the war and they saved his life. So you might feel like at the present moment, maybe you don't have much to give. Maybe you don't have much in the way of resources or time, or you're not even sure what you could do to help someone in your world. But I think one of the big parts of our current context in the community we live in is loneliness. And maybe we've read stories in the news about older people who are experiencing loneliness, but I think it can also affect young people. Um, I read something, I think it was from Our World in Data, that uh, people aged 18 to 24 were most likely to report higher levels of subjective loneliness. And, um, you know, if you think of stay-at-home parents who are looking after people who can't even talk yet, that can be a lonely experience, just having, you know, not having that conversation. And so chances are there are people in all of our worlds, our neighbours, in our, you know, who cross our paths, who are experiencing loneliness in some way, even if we don't realise it. And to help someone who's lonely, it's really quite simple. Just our presence can be enough for them. So let's not be afraid as a community to extend hospitality to people outside our demographic or life stage as well. So just thinking back to Judith, who looked out for me and took me to lunch, she was in a totally different life stage to me and she had very little overlap with the life of like an early 20-something. But it didn't stop her from looking out for me, noticing me, inviting me along and showing hospitality to me. 
And it's human nature to be drawn to people who are like us. And often our friends develop because, you know, we've got shared life experience and things like that. But I think as, you know, people who are following Jesus, um, the love of God in our hearts can be enough. That's enough of a common interest or a, a common link to extend hospitality to someone who's different. And maybe um, sometimes we look at our own situation and we think, oh, like, maybe it's a super hectic family time around the dinner table with kids crying. Maybe actually there's someone who would love to sit at that table with you. Or maybe you're just a single person and you think, hey, like, what have I really got to give? But maybe your presence would actually be beautiful for someone who um, is, you know, in a different demographic to you. So um, also just a word to those who feel like maybe they're more familiar with wanting to be welcomed and not experiencing it for feeling on the outer or feeling like they lack community um, and they don't feel that particularly noticed, remembered and known by people around them. I would say that this community is a good place to be. Um, I think that hospitality is at the core of what we're doing here and having um, time together in tables every few weeks as well. Um, there's a real chance to be known in this community and to be welcomed. And also to say that Jesus totally relates. Um, he describes himself as having no place to rest his head. So he identifies so much with that feeling of not feeling um, like there's a place to rest or a place to belong. And just also an encouragement that if that is you and you're not feeling particularly um, welcomed, even in the midst of your loneliness and isolation, Jesus can place people in your path to extend hospitality to. So what's in your hand? Um, because as we extend space for others, our lives expand too. You know, in Acts 2, it's the Holy Spirit that enables the church community to love one another in practice. We can be filled with the Holy Spirit and welcome him in to show us where we can show hospitality, where we can welcome strangers. It's not up to us as individuals. It's the community that the Lord Jesus is forming here at Centrepoint as in heaven. And the Lord loves it when we extend hospitality because it's just the way that the Lord loves to love us. And we can um, really know his love and his welcome. So, yeah, that's, that's what I wanted to share with you today. I hope there's been something there to speak. You've been listening to the Centerpoint Vineyard Podcast. To connect with us, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or by visiting our website, www.centerpointvineyard.org. The theme song for this podcast is Highest Praise by Kieran Delhart. So we see you.